I'm Alan Fairley, co-founder of ISL Talent. Our business is all about people and businesses with ambition trust us as a talent partner to help them build great teams. We're passionate about two things, helping startups and scale-ups grow and learning from others. The Scale-Up Diaries is about sharing the best bits from people that we admire, helping the wider startup and scale-up community on their journey. Super. Thanks for having me, Alan. So my name is Deirdre McGettrick. I am the founder of youfurnish.com. Youfurnish.com is an online furniture search and discovery platform that brings 170 furniture retailers and all of their products onto one website to make search easy for the consumer. And that consumer was me, Alan. I was trying to furnish my, my home. I was super excited. I had all this inspiration, screenshots from nice restaurants and bars, uh, saved uh, images from social media, all the inspiration from your home and garden magazine. And I just needed to make it happen. How difficult could it be? And that's where frustration struck. I was unable to find any of the products. I was individually searching furniture retailer after furniture retailer, tabs all across the screen, emails with URL links to various products, wondering why isn't there a simple way to search for furniture? And very much inspired by how we search for our homes. We go on Rightmove. It shows us all the homes available, regardless of the estate agent. Or Auto Trader shows us all the cars, regardless of the garage who's selling it. So at youfurnish.com, we bring all the furniture retailers together so that consumers can easily search. And then once they've found the perfect product, they click out onto the furniture retailer and convert to the purchase with the retailer directly. So that's us in a nutshell. Yeah, sounds brilliant. It sounds like a a great business. One I might have to keep secret for my wife, otherwise she'll be uh, on there all the time, kitting out the uh, the home. Um, so, but please, I think always, please do tell your wife. We love yeah, we no, love no, trying to get the women on. <laughs> I may feel obliged now. Um, so, and I think it's always interesting, isn't it, when the 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 story of the business, the origins comes from that kind of personal founder story as well. Um, but it's uh, it's obviously not just you today. So, uh, give us a sense of the the scale of the business now and what stage you're at. Yes, yeah, so we have 22 people in the business today. Um, Youfurnish.com launched in July 2020. So we'll be coming up on, on two years later this year. And it's been a phenomenal uh, journey since then. We really kicked off in earnest, I would say, uh, at the beginning of 2020, uh, focused on building the technology and we were onboarding all of the team in that period. Um, so it's it was quite interesting timing, actually, because obviously the 1st of January was all ordinary and a couple of months later we were all dealing with covid which we thought would be a very short-term mm-hmm. uh, phenomena and ended up uh, being the continuous joy that it is so you know one of the things that we dealt with is we we had an office uh, on the 1st of march 2020 we signed into a lease uh, which in hindsight was not the best idea um, and we've had to adapt to things like that along the way yeah, I bet. I did uh, hear the other day that maybe um, the, the on-sites are becoming the new off-sites and people's offices now are used to to bring the team together. But although you're working remotely, I know you did talk about, um, was it local to you that you brought the team together at the start of this year? How are you balancing that kind of flexibility, working remotely versus bringing the team together to make sure there's still those kind of collaborations and collisions? Yeah, well, I suppose if I take a step back to, to 2020, so we, we signed an office on the 1st of March, as I mentioned, and two weeks later, we were out working from home. Now, we were four people at the time. Okay. We're 22 today. 
So two months after that, we'd actually handed the keys back. And since then, we've completely grown our business remotely. And it's one of those things that when we were starting off, you just assumed you'd have an office. You assumed all the team would be together because that's how everybody does it. You never really thought about maybe we could be remote. Maybe we don't need uh, an expensive office in London and therefore restricting our ability to bring people on board as team members that live within a certain mile radius of the team. So it's completely transformed our business and our approach to bringing people together and indeed onboarding people. So we've now got um, team members uh, in Newcastle to Portsmouth and every place in between. And we've also got some team members in Ireland as well as the UK. And uh, we've also got some team members in Portugal. So again, if we were looking at the office, we would have never done that. So most of the team prior to this January I would have never physically met them in person. So you're on video calls like you and I are speaking here today and you feel like you really get to know everybody. Having said that, we did decide that we were going to go with uh, an offsite and we brought the whole team together in January of this year, so January 22. We brought them over to Ireland. We did three nights and four days, uh, activities, planning, strategy, our values, and really just getting to know each other as well with lots of fun activities. So on the back of that, I think what I've learned is you just can't replace the energy and the bonds that are built. So whilst we don't plan to bring everybody together into an office, we are looking at how can we supplement it regularly with offsites now to really build those bonds and to increase the energy of the company and the collaboration and the brainstorming. Yeah, I think um, that's definitely common to the approach that a lot of the, the startups and scale-ups that we work with are taking is actually let's offer flexibility, but let's not all forget about the the value in connecting over something other than a 13-inch laptop screen. And, and the value also in, I guess, inevitably the Zoom conversations that you might have become much more functional, whereas actually the, the unplanned stuff that you've got when you're all together physically and that you can hopefully try and... Um, uh, create an environment for when you're doing off-sites and bringing the team together every month or two rather than you know every day is uh, yeah you can get some really valuable stuff from there that you just didn't um, know how to plan around before you went into it. Um, and some of it's just the fun things as well about when you meet somebody for the first time and you see how tall or how small they are so at five foot two I'm a little bit vertically challenged and the comment I get oh you're so much smaller than I thought. So uh, there's always those sort of little fun bits as well of when you finally see someone in person. That's right. Yeah. All part of, uh, of getting to know each other. I'm curious then. So um, plans for the business um, back in, you know, early 2020 were partly in office, but I'm also sure other things as well that have proved out not quite to be the case. And I guess that's that's always the way in startups, whether you're kind of thinking about pandemics or not. Um, what are the other things that a couple of years on now, you look back on and think, oh, I assumed that, but actually the reality was was somewhat different, whether it's either when it comes to the, the people side of things or, or more broadly around your plans for the business and, and how the reality is actually mapped through. Yeah, so I suppose one of the big lessons as well is around people's backgrounds. Um, and when we were bringing people onto the team for specific roles, I suppose we've learned a lot in terms of our processes and what we now look for. So before you could see a very credible brand name on a CV and think somebody is going to be an absolute superstar. But what were they really doing there? Don't make any assumptions because sometimes it's it's easy to hide in a big company as well in terms of were you actually part of that deal or was the company doing it and you were on the edges? You know, do you actually have the experience? 
and it's a big step as well. And, you know, I come from a corporate background myself, um, very corporate background in banking. And, you know, it's a big transition away. So if people are looking to make the transition and, you know, you think that they've got the skill set, will they be able to fit into the culture? Will they be able to deal with the fact that, you know, we don't have a HR department just yet? We don't have IT on call when the printer isn't working. You've got to be able to self-serve. And, you know, we we mentioned as well about a policy earlier and well, we haven't got policies for that yet. You know, it's a transition as the business grows. And there's a lot of comfort blankets if you come from a big organization because of all the supports that they've got in place. So how do people actually adapt to that? And yes, a startup, it's exciting, isn't it? And everybody wants to work in a startup because it's deemed to be sexy. But it's also hard work because, you know, it's a very it's like looking after a baby. I think a baby is a great analogy. It needs constant care and attention versus the corporate is the adult. You know, it's gone through all of its growth phases, but the baby needs constant looking after. And and that's the hard work bit that, you know, you need to be very we're very upfront about it now to try and really be transparent around, you know, what it really entails working in a startup and what are some of the challenges if you've never worked in one before that you might have to overcome and would you be comfortable with that or, you know, is sticking with a corporate maybe a better career path for you? Yeah, and I think that there's um, there's some founders I talk to who um, are sometimes a little bit reluctant at interview stage or when they're looking to engage with candidates to uh, to be transparent and talk about the challenges that are there because they're scared about scaring people off. But I think actually um, the risk of scaring people off is is one you should embrace and actually encourage because if it's if it's not right for them, then figure it out into you rather than six weeks into the role when there's a lot of uh, a lot of pain to come. I'd rather scare them off because it means then that the person that you've got they're really in for the journey and the challenge and the upside you know it's not all hard work there's also a lot of fun and a lot of challenge and a lot of opportunity and upside so it's about getting the right person and I suppose I'd rather someone was transparent with me and we've learned a lot now around what it actually takes so I probably couldn't have been that transparent at the beginning because I didn't even realize myself it's where now we can so we try and really lay out what's entailed in the role and you know the the best um result for me is that and we had it recently we run a process and we offered somebody a job and they turned it down and I thought that was a great process that we've run we've offered them the job and they said I love the company I love the people I just can't take this on right now um, but would love to keep in touch and actually that's how we've managed to bring in a lot of people as well into the business is that we've kept in touch with people that we like and we don't have a role right now but in six months time in 12 months time in 24 months time we've nearly gone back to people and said we've now grown such that we need somebody with your skill set will you come in so bringing people on the journey but I think highlighting you know the challenges of a startup and what the growth pains will be and you know all of the differences to maybe a more corporate style job to me that makes sure that we get people who really want to come on board yeah and I think there's there's a lot of value there isn't there in um, that sort of longer term building up a talent pool or just building up those interactions those connections I think there's there's definitely some startups I've worked with where they're very guilty of thinking role by role and you know and, and closing this box off and then moving on to the next one rather than thinking well over the next two years 
we don't know exactly how things are going to go, but how can we build some connections with people that might be relevant now and interesting now, but also might be in a position where they can't commit today, but could be a brilliant hire for that next phase we um, we go through. Um, one, one of the big things that I've learned personally as well is that I'm hiring for all these type of roles where I don't have a background in, so I don't know what a head of product needs to do, for example never done it so what I like to start doing is just start having conversations with people just tell me about your job what do you do and then you get a sense of you know the different types of people and the different types of 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 skills and and roles even within that one function so through having those conversations I can then decide what my job spec should be and what I'm really looking for and it could be a case that out of some of those people you've really connected or you think they would be great so you know you can keep in touch with them and then potentially try and and pique their interest and if you've brought them on the journey over a couple of months of how you've been growing the business you know people are either excited about something or they're not so you can figure that out pretty quickly but to me it's been really good because what my first impression might have been around this is the role we need to hire often we end up hiring something very very different because of those conversations that I've had to learn a little bit more about the role rather than a very narrow maybe starting point yeah and it's it's a good way to also to capture the different backgrounds the different routes that people might have traveled to come into that role as well um I think when we spoke before did you you mentioned that you'd had success hiring directly so as much as I'd like to extol the values of, of using a recruiter it's clearly not the only channel there um what's been and I think for a lot of founders they really want to know how they can reach out to people they've got limited resources and they'd love to be able to secure some good hires themselves rather than through third parties so um how have you approached that and and what's been successful in that respect yeah so about half of our team are direct hires that we've found through our network or through the network of others and i suppose the the key thing that we've done is reaching out to people that are recommendations through our network or through friends of friends and just having a conversation to begin with um the way that we approach it as well is very much like yes, I want to know about you and your skills, but you need to know about us. So this is very much a a dual dating in one way. It's not just us flinging questions at you. I want you to make sure that you've analyzed us, the company around, is it the right fit for you as well? Because you can be the best fit for me, but if I'm not a fit for you, that won't work longer term. So we really try and do that. But it's, it's, it's through not rushing it as well. And this is one thing is that you often don't start thinking about things until you actually need it. And then all of a sudden, I need this hire. Let me get three people on front, make a decision and bring one in. But actually, if you started looking a couple of months before around where do I think my future needs might arise, you can have conversations to really understand what you want that role to be uh, rather than somebody telling you what it should be. So you can actually figure it out. And then as well, you can start having conversations with people to pique their interest and have a couple of conversations over a more relaxed time frame where it's not an interview, it's just a number of conversations. So I think that's where it's worked really well for us, that it hasn't felt like an interview process. It's felt like I want to get to know you and you want to get to know us. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that uh, you could look at from a recruitment life cycle that translates through to a, a, a dating and relationship building cycle. And uh, and maybe not all of them 100%. should be mapped through, but there's definitely some good things to take. Um, so you've had some success. I, I'm sure also there's been some areas where it's not quite gone to plan as well. How do you approach that when, um, if, if someone isn't working out, what's your kind of perspective and what's your process to try and improve that situation? 
Yeah, so we've had cases that haven't worked out both through people that we've brought in ourselves and through recruitment processes. So it's not that one works and one doesn't, you know, you're going to uh, make mistakes, I think. Um, some of the key learnings that I've sort of learned along the way is probably trying to get a little bit more into the background, as I said, of their actual skill set. So not just, oh, they've worked in this good company or they've done this task, so they're really good. Because at the end of the day, references, you can't really give a bad reference, can you? Because you couldn't, they can actually, I think, sue you back in terms of you've caused me to lose the job. So if I'm giving a reference to somebody, all I'm going to say is I can confirm, Alan worked here from January to February. Yeah. That's all you're going to say. So how do you dig a little bit deeper? And I think, especially in an early stage company, you know, you can't afford to to make the the mistakes of the hires that don't work out in the, the sense of a big organization can sort of absorb them. You're going to feel them more. So I think trying to do a little bit more research on what were they actually doing in the organization and um, really getting the detail behind, oh, I worked on that transaction. Okay, but talk me through, what did you work on the transaction? What surprised you? What did you learn? Because if you're in the detail and you were actually working on it, you'll have those examples. Otherwise, it'll be a bit more wishy-washy. And I think the other thing, we had somebody at the very beginning and, um, you know, we, we probably were overly ambitious in terms of the amount of step up that this person could do and wanted it to work um, you know, they were probably a little bit cheaper in market than everybody else. And I think that's probably a sign that they were a little bit more junior. And look, it's not to say that not everybody can step up because there's lots of people that are growing super quickly. Um, but it's that sort of ability to say, is this the right role for them? And will they be able for the fast pace? Because if not, you know, they're going to drown pretty quickly in one way. Um, and some people say, like, give them enough rope, they'll either start swinging or you know, it won't work out, whatever it is. So it, it's trying to understand the ability of that person to grow. I, I was at a talk um, just before COVID um, with Atlassian, you know, the software company. And the guy said that the company is growing by 50% year on year. So for me to keep my job, I need to grow by 50% just to keep my job. Yeah. And if I want to get promoted, I therefore need to grow 80, 100% to be able to step up. And I thought it was a really interesting, interesting way to put it. And I'd never really thought about it like that. But, you know, who has the skill set now? But can you still see them being there in two years time? And, you know, I think you want to be able to see them for a minimum of two years um, time, being able to stay with the business and grow with that role over the next two years. And if, if you can't see that and you're thinking, oh, I need to bring in somebody above them or whatever it is, they're probably not the right the right hire. And I think that's when it comes back to the timing is try not to put yourself under time pressure such that you have to get somebody in. So you just make an offer that, you know, maybe isn't 100 percent right. Yeah, that's right. There's obviously a benefit in, in plugging a hole, but not necessarily with anybody. It's making sure it's the right person, even if you can't predict entirely how things are going to go over the course of time. Yeah. And, you know, that, that one example that I was given of that person who didn't work out, I actually look at ourselves and blame us as much because I think we probably knew it wasn't the right hire, but we went with it. And um, as a result, you know, I would say it's as us to blame as much as it is with them to blame. 
Um, I had a, a driving instructor who told me that every car crash, uh, there's two parties involved. There's the person that crashes into you and there's you for not seeing them coming and reacting. So I always think that there's two sides to every story and where it doesn't work out, it, it's on both parties, really. Yeah, maybe in the, the heat of the moment with a resignation or a termination or, or, or a car accident, then people don't see it that way. But I think it is good to be able to reflect back afterwards and, and make sure there's some learnings that both sides take from it, for sure. Every time, if you can take one learning, because it's all about you improving, you know, you can't spill milk, it's already spilt. But what could you take from it? How can you prevent it next time? And I think for for early stage companies as well, I think that learning, that eagerness to learn and to improve is there because I've seen it differently than in bigger organizations where it's like, well, that person was wrong. Like, OK, so you're perfect, were you? But, you know, where can you learn? And it's um, the airline industry is great for it, isn't it? Because every accident does have an inquiry to stop it happening again. And then you look at other industries and um, you know, I was given one example. I won't repeat which one it was, but it was like every time something goes wrong, it's about how can we blame the whistleblower? How can we go after and protect and do that? But I was like, wow, if maybe if you were a bit more open to what could you change, how fantastic would the improvements be? But it's a barriers down rather than let's have a little look here. Yeah, I remember reading some research by Google that they'd looked at um, across their whole business, obviously thousands of employees, what was it that consistently created the highest performing teams? Uh, I think it was Project Aristotle. And it talks about psychological safety being the number one factor, not the logos that people had in their previous experience or their years of education, um, you know, or how much they were liked by their peers, but simply that safety, that ability, whether it's either reflecting back on what went wrong or just trying to move things forward in a more positive way then uh, people's ability to to speak freely without fear of retribution and finger pointing and to have a kind of a truly inclusive culture is uh it, you know, intuitively it feels good but also the research backed up it was it was what you needed to do to to create a good high performing team for sure yeah super interesting when it comes to um, the more junior people, so you've taken some people that have had some experience. You've also taken some junior people as well. I think you might have mentioned even um, using the, the Kickstart scheme. Um, how have you approached those, those more junior hires? Anything different to what you would do with someone who's coming to you with, with 10 years experience around the, the interviews or the way you set them up for success? Um, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, actually. Um, if I do, I don't do it knowingly or consciously. I suppose it, it's harder because you don't have the background of the CV and the experience. And one of the big challenges is that, you know, they're going to be working remotely. So we had one graduate we took on in, um, in January 21. And then I met her for the first time in January at her offsite. So she's been a full year without meeting one person in the business. And she's working, you know, remotely away very well but you know having having been a, a graduate as well and joining businesses one of the one of the bits that was nice was actually being in an office and the osmosis of what's coming in just meeting people saying hello you know good morning saying good morning oh, that person doesn't say good morning to me seeing even those all those little bits of politics that you don't even know about so I suppose it's one of the things that we try and do once uh, we have more junior talent coming in is just try and create an environment where we're like, look, if you've got any questions, it's going to be lots of acronyms. Somebody will say something. You won't understand it. Just, just ask. Yeah. Make sure that you're asking. There's no judgment. You can even ask more than once because why don't you ask two people as well? 
because I used to do that all the time in my career because Alan gave me one answer, but you know what? His business partner gave me a different answer. And mm -hmm. together I was able to put the picture together to really understand it. Or I've asked that question this month, but next month when I've had asked it again, I've built up more knowledge such that I take more from the answer next month. So the answer this month is the most basic answer to try and even just initial comprehension. But next month, I've been able to put a lot more context. So the answer means a lot more, even if it's the same answer. So I think it's creating that safety where ask questions, make sure that you understand and just sort of talking through and sharing my experience as well back to say, I remember going to a meeting and they talked completely in acronyms. And I was there and I was like, I have no idea what just went on there. But you know what? It went in over time. I was yeah. never going to be able to sit and learn every acronym. So don't st stress yourself out. It'll come over time and all of that. So, you know, just really trying to create that openness of ask the questions because that's how you'll succeed in your career and also letting them know that it's fine. And I think especially when you're in your early career, you know, people feel over time that they can't ask questions because it you know, you should know everything. I'm not sure after when, five, seven years, when is it that you should know everything by? Uh, I'm learning how little I know all the time now, rather than how much I know. In my early career, I learned about how much I know. And now I'm, I learn about how little I know. Um, but really trying to say to them, you know, use it right now. Nobody expects you to know anything. So ask all the questions that you can. So really just trying to create that encouragement and openness around questions. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, I definitely heard something on a podcast this week saying that founders as a rule are, are always curious and, and wanting to learn and then to, to reassure you in terms of uh, you don't ever really want to get to that point where you feel you know it all because otherwise I guess that probably reflects the fact you're not learning so um, yeah keep on that journey definitely. Um, with regards to um, so the business you know started off with you I think uh, your your partner as well and and now there's 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 22 of you um, and I guess You've gone through different stages. Um, have you sort of consciously thought a lot of people in the startup where I talk to say, right now we need this, but I know in the future we're going to transition the type of business, the size, the scale. Maybe we move from taking someone as a generalist to taking more specialists. Have you got to the stage where you you think now in terms of different stages and different types of people, or is that maybe more for the future? No, it's it's definitely part of all of the growth planning that we've been doing. So, you know, how do we grow the team? Um, and it's all really linked to the growth of the business. But as the business continues to grow, you're thinking, right, we're going to be 40 people. How does that work then? How does all the processes in terms of, you know, our morning stand ups versus our weekly all company stand up? All of those elements come into play. And look, you can do a certain amount of planning for them in advance. But at the end of the day as well, until it actually sort of comes to fruition and happens, you know, there'll be lots of changes along the way as well. So we try not to overly sort of not not stress ourselves out, but to not to overly plan because things change. Things change every day. And even from the beginning of a recruitment process to the end of a recruitment process, even after all the conversations that I might have had, once we get into that recruitment process, we can even change the role that we end up hiring for. We're like, actually, we need somebody more senior when we meet everybody or this person is probably too senior they're not going to be hands-on enough we probably need somebody more junior right now so everything is just constantly changing in a startup is what I would say so we've got our broad elements and you know we're 22 people now so we've got our departments and we know about right if I wanted to double the output these are the extra three heads that I'd need to bring into this team you know and then you're sort of starting to plan so if I thought I needed them in December of this year well it's going to take me you know at least two months to actually run the interview process from beginning to end, probably a month of prep. They'll be on one 
months notice, three months notice, depending upon the role. So all of a sudden, a role that you might want in December, you could think, oh, I maybe need to start thinking about that quite soon if they've got three months notice and then I'm going to run the process and start thinking about it. So, you know, you're sort of always thinking ahead, but looking at what's your time frames to hire as well. Yeah, I think that's key, isn't it? I talked to a lot of founders. I was doing a presentation to a group of 10 founders this week who are at seed stage looking to raise between one and five million pounds. And some of them were more switched than others around the, the lead times and thinking now about what they might need in three or six months time rather than waiting for the, the check to arrive, so to speak. And then only at that point, pressing go on some of these things that you can do and finding that um, they were already six months behind some of their key milestones in a kind of a 12 or 18 month runway. Yep. But cool. it also then flows through into what's your policies around what your leave period is, what's your notice periods mm. for certain roles and Again, we probably have slightly longer notice periods than you might see typically in market for some roles, but it's because we only have one person doing that. And if they left in four weeks time and we wouldn't have anybody to replace them, therefore we've needed to have longer in for some of those roles as well in our contract. So how do you protect yourself on that side because you don't know where you'll be in two years time if somebody wants to move on and moving on isn't always a bad thing if they've achieved what they want and you get new blood and new energy in who's going to take you to the next level but let's build in the protections that you need to make sure that you're not left high and dry and have a big gaping gap especially if it's quite a technical role or something that somebody else can't step into yeah that's right yeah an early stage then you know a, a bad hire can make an impact but also losing a good person can be a uh, something that you can never entirely avoid but also you want to make sure you you mitigate the risk around that for sure um you've you've built a business that's already achieved some success i know you'll have you know plans for for much more in the future and um, when we were talking previously you you recognize the the value of others outside of the business in helping you um, i was this week with a group of seven or eight ceos and you know i meet with them every month and i find that really useful to take time out from the business and to get support from either others that are doing the same job or maybe others that have been there and done that and get their perspective you talked about i think the value of a chair in particular but how do you sort of um, use your network to help improve you furnish without having people there all day every day yeah so i'm a massive massive believer in your network um you know i think if you've got people that you create a bond with and you can ring them up and ask for their opinion, it's hugely valuable. And, you know, if you've created that bond, maybe they're willing to help. Maybe they see something of you from their younger selves, whatever it is. But I think there was one CEO, uh, a very successful lady, and I met her and she was like, well, I don't pay for consultants. I just find somebody and go and bring them for coffee or bring them for lunch and have a chat with them. So that's very much how I try and approach it as well, is that people are by and large quite willing to help. Mm -hmm. um, they want to help people that are positive and that are energetic. And, you know, I think they like sort of spending time with you because of all the energy and the excitement of the start of this, what we're doing. But this is my issue. How would you deal with this? Well, have you had out with this before? What would you think? Oh, is there somebody else within your network? Would you mind actually putting me in touch with your friend that's a HR specialist or with your friend that's a CRM specialist I'd love to speak to them I'd love to just pick their brain and by and large people are I find very very willing to help uh, and have a chat and look it's made all the more easy it's not like you need to spend hours commuting to meet anybody anymore you can literally drop somebody a message on LinkedIn and say would you be up for having a virtual coffee you've had a fantastic career I'd love to have a chat with you because I think I could learn a little bit from your wisdom this is my journey and what I'm looking to do 
And, you know, I think I've had a ridiculous success rate just from reaching out and doing that. But, you know, it's just building up the courage to as well. I'm thinking, well, why would that person, that person, they're too serious. They're too successful to be bothered with little old me. But, you know, they're willing to help. Yeah, I think you'd be, uh, it's good advice, isn't it? And you'd be pleasantly surprised the amount of people that would come back to you and say, yeah, actually, I can help you in some way, whether it's either a conversation or a connection, an introduction or a coffee. Send five LinkedIn messages. I bet one of them will get back to you and you only need one to give you the advice. Yeah. And I, I, I've, um, the University of Bristol, so I'm based in Bristol, they do a, um, a mentoring scheme for recent graduates and alumni. And I've got involved in that recently. And I really enjoy being there, being able to kind of impart some of the experiences and the, the knowledge that I've got. But also so much of the time I, I give them advice and I reflect back on myself and think, do you know what, Alan, you've, you've given good advice there, hopefully, but equally you probably need to follow some of it yourself. So it's not entirely Sometimes. a one way process. <laughs> Yeah, it's easier to be impartial and to see it when you're outside of it. But that that's the one thing that has really struck me and like amazing to hear that you're giving back is how willing people are to help me. And I think it's something really special about, you know, the community of business owners. And I think it's the responsibility of everybody there to play it forward, because without those people helping me, I wouldn't have ever. There's an awful lot to learn about an awful lot of areas so without all that help I wouldn't have been able to achieve everything I did so if I can help somebody back I've got to do it I've got I feel like it's my obligation just to create that good karma even just so I can continue to get it myself as well from the people that are above me on the journey but I I do really think it's something very special around the business community so yeah yeah you've got to keep filling the piggy bank up haven't you before you can take deposits from it all the time but it's very much a process um so looking forward then um talk to me about plans for you finish in the future and and what's your hopes over the next sort of 12 months or so yeah so we've been on very very fast trajectory of growth over the last 12 months 2021 was our first full year of trading after launching in 2020 Um, and i would say you know we've gone long ways into building the platform into signing the furniture retailers we've got 170 furniture retailers signed including the likes of john lewis wayfair made furniture village Elm. so right across the market all ones that you'd know and obviously that's only five there's another 165 out there uh, one of the games i like to play with people is name as many furniture retailers you can in 60 seconds most people can't even get to 10 so it just goes to show in terms of when you're looking for furniture, you can't even remember the brands to search. So, um, you know, now it's all about building the brand awareness, making everybody across the UK aware that we exist and how we can help them to save time, to save money and to find the product that's perfect for them and their home. So that's what we are all about. So you will see lots of the youfurnish.com brand, uh, hopefully on a, a social media, uh, any sort of advertising. We're all over everything. Uh, we've just done our first brand video, which is super exciting. I saw it this morning for the very first time. So it's one of those things where it's it's really exciting now. And, um, you know, we're going to be continuing to fundraise as well in terms of funding the business and the growth. And uh, over the next 12 months, you know, we probably will double the size of the team from the 22 that we have today up to, you know, someplace between 35 to 40 in the more immediate term. So that's the planning I was talking that we'd done out around the new roles that we're going to need to bring in. Um, so it's going to be uh, all go very, very busy. Yeah, sounds like exciting times ahead. Um, just pausing and reflecting back a little bit then. So you've come through a great journey and it sounds like you're, you've very much got a lot more to come with that. Um, when it comes to the people within the business, whether it's either bringing people in or retaining them or kind of making sure that they're, 
they're going to be successful along the way then any sort of top tips you'd pass on to others that are going through a similar journey emi okay so emi is a sheer a scheme that you can put in place in your company as an early stage company. Um, I can't remember the exact limits on it, but it's, it's limited to a certain amount of shares and value that you can give away. But what it means is for people that are looking to join in your business, you can share with them some of the value of the company. So it means that they get the upside as well. And that was really important to us because if somebody's involved and they go above and beyond and they can create value, I want them to get the reward. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if you have a graduate who's coming in and you can see them grow? And the next thing is in two years time, they've got enough money maybe to put a deposit on a house and how you can help them. But then it gets the buy-in as well in return for what they're doing. <clears throat> so EMI is is super, super um scheme I just couldn't recommend it more I think there's great schemes in the UK around the investment side but for EMI in terms of bringing in people into the company and you know it's tough as a startup because you can't pay potentially the exact same amount of money as Google or Amazon or Facebook so how do you create your USP I think the nice thing about giving shares to people as well and EMI it's it's super tax efficient so uh, they only pay 10% capital gains tax so Let's think about it. If I give somebody £10, they're going to pay tax on it. And if it's a higher rate taxpayer, they're probably left with £5 in their pocket. But if you give them £10 of shares and it becomes worth £100, instead of putting £50 in their pocket, you've actually put £90 in their pocket. So they would have had to earn about £180 as a higher rate taxpayer to get that £90 in their pocket after tax. So it's a hugely, um, you know, beneficial scheme for them. But it also means as well, when you're being transparent and you're talking about the vision and where you want the company to go, if people don't believe in it, they won't value the shares because they might not be sticking around for them. So therefore, it means that you really get people that are aligned with your vision and your mission and that they're a good fit for the company and they believe in what you're doing. And of course, that's half the battle as well is around that cultural fit and making sure you get the right people who are excited for the journey. Yeah, 100%. And, and we focus on the startup world where, as you recognize, you know, the, the value of options and equity is a big part of how you will um, motivate and retain people. But I think the other big part of it, it sounds like you're doing this referencing kind of this could be a house deposit is, is linking that back through into what it means for them. You know, so actually the stage you're at, the stage you're at, the percentage we're giving you is that going to be potentially, if the business hits its milestones over the next three or five years, is it a holiday or a house deposit or a house or a street, you know, and, and making it real for them in terms of things that matter to them rather than simply saying, here's a hundred options. The share price today is a pound. Hopefully that'll be worth more in the future. And I've definitely seen candidates leave roles because they had options that on paper were worth loads, but no one, the founder didn't really take the time to tell them the story around what it could be worth even if of course there's no guarantees in the startup world and things never will go to plan but at least create a narrative around what success could look like and what it means for that person financially and in other ways as well exactly and i suppose there's that that's for everybody in the company we give shares to every permanent employee of the company right now so it's as well that's a bit of a like join now while we're still doing this um but i suppose for the senior management in the business as well you know we're all very aligned in terms of where we see the upside and the potential opportunities in the business. And it's probably more through the shares than through the salary that you're going to get. So it means even between departments, you've got more alignment of, well, 
this is what I'd really like the money to be spent on because I'd like it to be spent on my department. But then I can be a little bit more to think, well, actually, I'd rather the business succeeds overall. And I can see that if we invest the money here in this other department, it might help us all in the long term. So it just helps align you know, decision making processes as well. So there's there's numerous benefits of it. Um, but I think that's been one of the the wise decisions that we've put in place. Yeah, great. Good to uh, capture. And um, no, it's really, uh, it's a big part of bringing people into that startup world and, and helping them share in the success for sure. So, and it's really been really good to hear about some of your success so far with you, Finish, and, and also the plans for the future. So um, thanks very much for, for joining us and, and sharing the story with everybody listening and, uh, and look forward to seeing how that journey evolves as, uh, as time goes by, Deirdre. Thank you for having me. And don't forget to tell the wife about youfurnish.com. I will uh, I will go downstairs now and make sure that she's uh, she's on there straight away. Good man yourself. Thanks Alan. Cheers bye.